thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. It is good to be here. It's great to be sharing with you. And, and uh, what, what I guess my motivation in running a church, my motivation in the media stuff I've done has always been to give a defence for faith. And Christian faith and belief and religion in general within Western democracies is kind of under pressure for all sorts of reasons. And uh, the sorts of things that we've seen across the world um, in the name of terrorism, often in the name of religion, whether it's actually religion or not, basically brings the things that we hold to into a place of disrepute. And you end up in a, in a secular nation with a lot of pressures from all sorts of different corners of our communities, basically saying, we've got a great country, we've got great nations, great Western democracies. If it wasn't for those kind of ratbag religious types, we'd be so much better off. And what would be best for our community would be to drag religion out of every part of life, whether it's school, whether it's politics, whatever part of life, pull religion out because any form of religion is actually bad for our community. And yet any look, cursory glance at history will tell you that Western democracies were built on the teaching of Jesus. And essentially what we're trying to do is remind people of the truths that we've forgotten. And, and that's what this series is all about. So Towards Belief was diffusing the belief blockers of our time. This is kind of trying to demonstrate, show, bring back to people what they've, in an essence, that we've forgotten. That, that the world in which Jesus stepped into, and this is starting to sound like my sermon, so I'll stop. Uh, the world Jesus stepped into was very, very different to the world we now live in. And what he taught and how he lived actually made a difference. It still echoes into our world now. One of the things that you said in, the, in that little voiceover was that Christianity has moved from being irrelevant to being seen as dangerous. What, what do you think the, the contributing factors are to that? I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll kind of do the, the, the messages around this, so I don't yeah. take too much of that. Look, I, I think the, the contributing factors within Australia, I think there are three major contributing factors in Australia. One is the push for same-sex marriage, and that's a huge issue for us, you know, because the church is seen as standing against it, so that's an issue. The, emotion, the uh, abuse of children, and that has become a huge issue as well, so that the church is seeing, if you've seen the movie Spotlight, if you haven't, you should see it. It's very confronting, but it's outstanding. I think mean, you add the kind of terrorism across the world, which is often given a kind of religious slant, and often it does have a religious slant, and when we try and take that away, that's a mistake. You add those things together, and it's just like, well, religion is just a negative influence, and that's, that's kind of difficult for us. Now, I said at the outset that one of the things that we did when we kind of, when we farewelled you was we commissioned you and sent you out into full-time ministry with Olive Tree Media. But for those who are unfamiliar with Olive Tree Media, can you tell us what that is precisely? Um, it, it probably, our ministry probably has two main arms, but it, it's really uh, Carl speaking ministry, but also creating resources for both Christian broadcast and the local church. So we're very, even though we've stepped out of ministering here on a regular basis, we are absolutely committed to the local church and resourcing the local church with small group resources um, for outreach programs and, and in services. So, and then Carl, it just releases Carl to do a lot more wider ministry, speaking ministry around Australia and uh, increasingly internationally. 
Now, it could be, I, I suppose, confused that uh, Olive Tree Media headhunted Carl uh, <laughs> to, uh, to kind of join this massive organization. But w where did Olive Tree Media start and when? Uh, it actually started in a living room on a holiday at Noosa. <laughs> was when we actually came up with the name. We were brainstorming with our family. We had adult children at that time or older teenage children. It was in 2008, I think, we registered it as a name and as a ministry. And for many years, Carl dabbled in it on the side. And then we, we moved from... Well, for me, it moved from being something we did in our spare time while we worked here the majority of time to then the step to part-time doing it and then part-time here and then full-time there. So, um... No, that's untrue. I just wanted to add something to say that's, that there's somebody here this morning that run a foundation and the foundation was going to help support us put our radio spots in the one spot because I, there's now over seven, almost 800 radio spots out there. They're played around the world. At the time, they were kind of recorded in Sydney. Brisbane had some. They were all over the shop, and we needed to build a website to put them in the one spot. And this foundation uh, was represented here this morning by a couple said, look, we'd like to help you do that. And we thought, that's great. And they said, the trouble is you can't do it under a church name because our foundation doesn't give to local churches. So we had to start a ministry. Uh, and that was the kind of glorious start. We had, then had, you know, the hardest part was to come up with a name. Nearly killed us. Uh, so we came up with a name. Then we discovered that Olive Tree actually put out a Bible app. Everybody keeps thanking me for the Olive Tree. Bible app, which is wonderful, but that we had nothing to do with it. Um, didn't know it existed at the time, actually. So that was, the, and once we'd actually generated the kind of vehicle, as it were, God has kind of grown it and drove it in all sorts of places. So what was the process then um, of discerning that it was time to, to move on? I mean, you know, you had, uh, I know that, you know, without going into the whole story, part of the call that God placed in your life in particular was to bring the gospel to Australia, to the world. Uh, and so this kind of matched that as a vehicle. But you enjoyed local church ministry. It was a pretty important part of who you were. Things were going pretty well. How did you discern in the midst of that uh, that it was time to begin to take a step of faith? What were the indicators? Well, there's that? about several different things that lined up. It was just like one of these years where all the ducks seemed to line up. Um, one of them was that I, I'd always said that I would stay here as long as all my kids were part of this church. And this church, you've been such a blessing to my family and um, our family, rather. And it, it was, it, it, and so I was never going to move while the kids were kind of at school. And, and one of the catalysts was Ellie got married. <laughs> so that's our youngest daughter got married. It was a bit like, okay, that sort of ticks that box, you know. Um, we also, towards belief, was then going international. And while I could go to Melbourne or Brisbane or Perth for in the middle of the week for a day, Going internationally was really difficult while I'm still running a local church. And then added to that, you know, I, Mark had finished his doctorate of ministries and Angelo, because of the conversations I'd had with him over several years, I knew he was going to retire. And this particular year was after Mark had finished his doctorate of ministries and before Angelo had retired. And so this little kind of patch where all these things lined up and it just seemed under God that this was the right time. And I should tell you that Jane and I really hadn't had discussions about this, but I'd been thinking about it for a couple of weeks. I thought, I really should talk to Jane about this. So we were going for a walk in Cronulla, which we all, I don't think we've ever been for a walk in Cronulla since, actually, but we went for a walk in Cronulla. We're walking, and I thought, I really... And I'd been praying about it for a couple of days, and I said, we're walking. I said, you know, I've been thinking about this. I kind of think that next year might be the right year to finish it, Guy Mere, fear and trepidation about this conversation. And the response was, yeah, I think you're right. Moving on, next subject, you know. So, so it, was, it was right under God and, and the right time, and it's been really significant. 
So, you know, like it, you know, we know that, shall we say, the story so far has, has gone quite well. But what were the risks? Like, what were the things that when you thought about it, you know, like, you know, a long time in one place, so there's a certain degree of comfort and uh, you kind of, you know what to expect. And this is, you know, a big step. What were some of the things that kind of tugged at you a little bit to kind of say, oh, maybe it's not the time. Maybe this is not God. Maybe this is something you ate. Maybe, <laughs> you know, whatever it might be. And Jane will say a couple of things as well. I mean, one of the big risks is we're working together all the time, all week, seven days a week. That, there's a huge risk for Jane. Um, and every now and then she'd say to me, I'd go out and, and kind of bang in her ear about something I'd just seen on the news. And she'd say, don't, don't you have somebody else to talk to about this? <laughs> you go up to the office and talk to those guys up there. So she actually wants to move me back in the office here. Because I'm the introvert and I've been working from home for about five years in peace, getting lots of things done, and now I have someone that's just sort of <laughs> um, shooting you. the breeze with <laughs> me. He used to have a whole staff to do that with. <laughs> now it's just me. It's not what I say. It's not that what I say is boring and dull either. <laughs> Look, the, the two big issue, the two big issues really, and you, you know, you're you're all smart. One is sustainability. I mean, you're, you're going to make this work. This is a great idea, but is this, is this a sustainable ministry? Is this financially sustainable over time? And the second is relevance. You know, when you run a kind of larger church, which has some profile, that gives you a certain degree of relevance, you know, and then often you, you stop doing it and then nobody cares, kind of. And so, you, 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 and I don't want to so the ministry has to continue to have relevance in the community so that you have something to say and people have, uh, have an interest in what you're saying, then you have to make it sustainable. And both those things, if there's a risk, I guess those are the risks, yeah. So how did you then feel, you know, that September in 2014, we prayed for you, you cleaned out your office, you walked down the street 100 metres and there you were at home. Did you feel like... You'd done the right thing. That uh, oh, here we go. Were you excited? Like, what was kind of that sense in those first few weeks after that? Well, to be honest, we felt pretty good because I think we left for Europe about two days later. <laughs> we we did predict that it could be difficult just going home and setting up office in the house and carrying on. So we, I think, we worked out that it would be um, a bit of a hole to start with, and so we were thankful that there were a few ministry opportunities that had opened up in uh, London and the UK at that time. And so we went to London for, I think, 10 days. And then we, I think, Carl rode his bike in the Pyrenees for... Yeah, so was tough. <laughs> yeah, so we, we were aware of that being an, an issue, possibly. So we counter it, countered it with um, a little trip to Europe. <laughs> So how has the Lord provided for you? Took this step of faith a couple of years ago now, and... I mean, it's been outstanding and, and quite remarkable, really. Um, I, we don't kind of publicise this a lot, but to say publicly that you, you can imagine if that series costs a lot of money to build, like it's an enormously expensive series, and, uh, and the money is not far short of half a million dollars, and in about six weeks ago, we surpassed the total to build the series. Uh, and then out on top of that, there are other people who are keen and committed to what we're doing, so they help provide a number of you, and we're enormously grateful for it, uh, give and contribute to what we do. And so that, it, basically right now, it, it, looks, it looks sustainable, but still early days, really. I mean, two years is nothing, really. So, it's, so we've, we've just got to make this a long-term sustainable ministry that has an international influence as well as touching as many people around Australia as we can, and that's what we're seeking to do. 
Have you had any second thoughts? People, people often ask me, I should tell you a funny story, so just about six, four weeks after I'd finished, maybe six weeks, um, I was down in Melbourne and there was a couple of other senior pastors that were at, at this thing that I was at and they'd known I'd just finished and one was still a senior pastor in Melbourne and he said, Carl, is there life after being a senior pastor? And I said, Graham, I go to church and I sit in the back row. And he's like, oh, the back row! <laughs> the back row! You know? um, yeah, it's, it's a big change. It's a big change. Like, I've got to say, don't take this personally, but not worrying about 600 people, it really is nice. Uh, and, and being able to sit in church and, and something doesn't go quite right, like the lights go down, I go, not my problem, not my problem. Because um, I'm a bit of a responsibility freak. So uh, yeah, you do miss the sense of family and, you know, the team and the, the sense of team and all of that. You, you do miss that. That's... Um, but there's a, there is a kind of, I think, for a while there'd been a move toward this broader ministry, and then that's, so I, I've, like, for instance, I've, I'm in New Zealand four times this year speaking and knocked back at least two op- other opportunities, um, most states of Australia at least twice this year. That's not to say I'm big noting what I do. All I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of interest, a lot of opportunity, and that continues to grow. And, that, and that's, that's kind of what... It's that whole relevance thing, you know, what you fear is that nobody, nobody calls, nobody emails, and uh, you're ringing Tim McAleer for a job down at Tradies, because uh, you know he'll give you one. Um, well, actually, <laughs> so you, uh, <laughs> my wife is very employable. So you're there, at a serious level, there is that sense, and when you kind of start to move past that, there is a sense of, you know, this, this is, God's in this, and that's what you're really hoping for, Joanna. What would you say to people here who may be feeling that God's calling them to step out in faith? I mean, this was part of our journey as a church in kind of the year prior to you finishing up, uh, and that was kind of part of our language about sensing where God was calling us into and stepping out in faith. Uh, That hasn't changed. We're still called to step out into new things. What sorts of things would you say to people as they're trying to discern the process, you know, trying to, to kind of... Um, think through, you know, both what the outcomes could be, but also perhaps the things that are holding them back. There's a great quote I read years ago that those of you who've been in this church for a long time would have heard me say, and that is, most people will choose the certainty of misery over the misery of uncertainty. There's a lot of truth in that. Like, we will be quite unhappy with what we're doing, but, but we will choose the certainty of that misery because being uncertain of the future is a terribly miserable thing. Don't, uh, you would have heard me say this in sermons like this before, or messages like this before, don't go and resign tomorrow. But don't dismiss it. Uh, risk is a really important part of life. And, you know, we kind of think that the most important thing is the dollar, you know, dollars in the bank, the superannuation, and yet we live miserable existence doing things that really aren't us. Now, I wasn't miserable before. I'm not trying to say that. All I'm trying to say is that we choose not to make changes because we're too afraid of the changes. I think you need to get good advice. I think you need to have people around you. I think you need more than just a bad Italian meal that makes you feel bad in the morning. There's got to be this sense of um, momentum about what God is calling you to. But the step into change, that's the hard bit. Um, I know some friends, even those that are here, some of us get a step into change that we really don't want. It's forced upon us, and that's incredibly difficult. The hardest part of that is don't become bitter and twisted. Find where God is calling you into. 
And I think part of it is even take smaller steps. You know, to some degree for us in ministry, there, it, was a, it was a time frame thing. There, was, there, were, there were things that were happening, continue to do this, but also do that. And then God, you, you see that God is in it. Um, but I, I, think, I think taking risks into the unknown, um, while it's really tough, as long as it's done thoughtfully and wisely, not on a whim, that's incredibly important. And who knows what God will have in mind for you. Yeah, I think it's that spare time, part-time, full-time progression, you know, like testing your gifts, testing your call, um, having other people pray for you and really um, support you and encourage you in whatever you're thinking. Um, and then that can be either a part-time step or a full-time step. Well, you have the microphone. Uh, you're going to be out in the, uh, the lounge area at the tall table with uh, some things. There's discussion guides, DVDs, and there's also an app. Do you want to just briefly explain that? Absolutely. Those? So Jesus the Game Changer is 10 episodes, uh, 28 minutes in length on DVD and digital download. So you can either buy a folder which will give you a digital download code and you can go to the website and download the 10 episodes. But if you're one of probably our generation that still has a DVD player at home, then you'll be able to buy the DVD. And then there's also a, a discussion guide. And then you can go to just the app store and download the Jesus the Game Changer app and you can get all the discussion guide for free. And there's also guest bios, um, information about our guests. Uh, some of the topics include things like the equality of all people, uh, care, the dignity of women and children, um, the, the importance of education and health. These are all topics that we look at because they're the things that Jesus, when he came on this earth, he completely changed the trajectory of where this world was going, you know, um, and Carl will talk about that more, but it was an absolutely transformational change. He was the ultimate game changer, yeah. And finally then, how can we be praying for you, continue to pray for you guys? Uh, I, I guess, um, and there's so many ways, just opportunity for this to reach both nationally and internationally. I'm just really praying that God will use this in churches right across Australia, but also internationally. I pray it's the next alpha. Yeah. All right. Uh, look, uh, one, of the, one of the very specific prayers, we, we're having discussions at the moment are in North America, so America and in Canada, and th they are areas that would be fabulous to have this in, uh, sort of distributed and used across the world. As Jane summarised it really well, this is, we didn't produce this to feel good about ourselves, we've produced this to make a difference in communities, not only in Australia but globally, and we want to see people show it, show it to their friends, think about it, change lives, and uh, for lives to be changed in the name of Jesus. It's been good to hear a bit of their story, hasn't it? Uh, we're going to hear from Carl in just a couple of minutes as he talks a bit more about Jesus the Game Changer. Uh, but would you thank them uh, as uh, they take this time? It's uh, so nice to be here. It's wonderful to speak to you again. It's uh, wonderful also to be here with Mark telling me that there's a clock on the platform, there's a clock on the back, and what, I've, what time I've got to finish. And the great thing is I'll finish when I'm ready. Uh, and he can sit in the front row worrying about it, which is a fantastic thing. Isn't that great? Um, I, I, 
we want to just chat about the background of Jesus the Game Changer and some of the influence, uh, you know, as I've already kind of alluded to about why this series, but why the influence in our world. You would have heard, you know, you would have got sick of hearing about uh, Fairfax uh, Media, I think, uses Ipsos polling. So you would have heard the name Ipsos polling over the last four months around the election. Or the, and uh, and we, I think we've got a government, haven't we? Uh, eventually we've got one. And, and Ipsos polling actually does polling across the world, not just in Australia. It's an inter, international brand. And there was a debate in Canada a couple of years ago, and Ipsos polling did a, did a poll around the question, is religion a core, a, a, an influence for good within our world? Does religion do good to our world, or is religion, as it were, negative influence in the world in which we live? And Ipsos polling actually did 14,000 people across a number of different nations, more than 20 different nations. Does religion, is religion a for, force for good within our world? And, the, and some of the outcomes w- were this. In Australia, only 32% believed it was a force for good. Uh, when you get to the UK, it was 29%, France, 24%, Sweden, 19% of people believed religion was a force for good. Now, the intriguing thing is that religion as a word, as a concept, is, is right now under enormous amount of pressure as a word, as a concept, because of terrorism around the globe. But the interesting thing is, for those of us of Christian faith who follow the person of Jesus, who believe that Jesus has come into the world and our worlds and made an enormous difference, it causes us to question where we hold, what we hold to. I mean, what's the difference that Jesus made? And can we hold to this faith? And is, are we better off as, as, a, as a world? Because basically 75% almost or more of Australians seem to be suggesting that we would be better off as a nation if there were less faith, religion, and therefore Christianity involved in our world. And yet, and that's for all sorts of reasons, as I mentioned, and yet when you look at a kind of the, the, the globe, our, our Western democracies, and I'm, I'm referring more to Western democracies than, say, some of the East, uh, areas around the world which have Eastern philosophy, uh, Jesus is an enormous influence. We interviewed a guy called Stephen Skiena, who's a, a computer scientist. Yep, he was a riveting interview. Uh, but he's written a book called Who's Bigger? Now, Skiena and a, 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 his offside award did, did this piece of research on Wikipedia. Now, you probably think, well, Wikipedia, is that really a big deal? Except, except that Wikipedia actually has, I think it's more than 500,000 different people on it. And, and basically everybody of any note has a page in Wikipedia, any note from history. And what Skiena and Ward were trying to do is to work out, in essence, who's bigger. Who, who has the most influence? What is, what, who is the most influential person in human history out of, the, out of looking at how Wikipedia is used, how many times a page is read, how many times a page is changed, how long the pages are, how many people look at them, etc., etc., etc. Now, intriguingly, when they got their results, they then actually crossed their results across a number of other areas at looking at similar questions to find whether their outcome matched the other, uh, other surveys that people had done. And it's, it's a kind of an interesting process when you think about it, because one of the things we didn't end up in the, in the series we talked to Skiena about was, so how do you pick the difference between gravitas and celebrity? I mean, there's lots of people that are, are really, really, really well-known, e.g. Kim Kardashian, but is she very influential for human history over the ages? We're praying not. 
But, you know, so what's the difference between, say, Kim Kardashian and Hillary Clinton, depending on your politics, put that aside, but one is both huge names, and, and so that's, that's not easy to work out, and they had ways of kind of working this out. Essentially, they listed the top 100. They had much more than that. Their book listed the top 100. If, in case you want to buy the book, don't. It's just boring stuff about how they got the outcomes. I bought it, and, and, and uh, it was great to have it on my shelf. It's relatively unused. Uh, if this is your area, you'll love it. But the intriguing thing was they listed the top 100 people of influence across human history and the person who came up on top was Jesus of Nazareth. And that crosses across all sorts of other surveys as well. But, which is kind of, we sit here in church in Guymere in 2016 and say, well, of course Jesus is the greatest person or the most influential person of human history. But when you ask, what did Jesus leave? You might be kind of interested to think about that. At the point of his death on a Roman cross, which was the most humiliating way to die, what did Jesus actually leave at that point? And yes, he rose again three days later. Yes, he appeared to a number of people, up to 500, as we said, reading Corinthians. But what did he actually leave? Because when you think about what Jesus left, there wasn't a great deal. He didn't own anything. He didn't own any property. He didn't actually start an organization. Now you think, well, the church started. Yeah, but he didn't start an organization. He only had a few followers. In fact, um, in, in uh, Acts chapter 1, we see there's, there's about 120 that are gathered. A few months, few months later, there would have been a couple of thousand. But in the, in the course of human history, it wasn't very much. He came from the backwater. I mean, we think Nazareth is really important. It was the back of nowhere. It was nobody, he was nobody from nowhere. It went at the point that he died, at the point of his death, nobody, nobody would have said his name will last five minutes. Now, compare that to Caesar Augustus. Why do you know the name Caesar Augustus? Because you read Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, at the time of Caesar Augustus, right? Caesar Augustus at the time was the, the, the leader, the ruler, the emperor of the, at that time, the greatest kind of uh, empire of the world that lasted for a long time. He, it ran from England all the way through. They couldn't, beat, you know, couldn't overcome most of the Germans, so it was more the southern part of Europe, all through the Iberian Peninsula, through Greece and Rome, Palestine, and kind of towards where, where Iraq is now. Massive, massive. When he was coming towards dying, towards the end of his life, Caesar Augustus wanted to make sure that his, um, that his heritage, his story, was, was, was lived on. So he designed his own mausoleum and wrote on, on, and had people write on two huge brass plaques the 32 of his greatest achievements over his life, which were on the outside of the mausoleum. Uh, this guy was wealthy, this guy was influential, this guy ran most of the world at that time, this guy had more money than he knew what to, know, what, what to do with. And yet, today, as some other people have said, I'm quoting somebody else, have said, these days, when we look at the characters of the Bible, we actually tend to name our children, or we used to, John and Mary and, and Paul and Peter, and we name our dogs Caesar and Nero. Jesus became a person of incredible influence and Jesus has lasting influence on our culture. Uh, 
whatever we think about Christianity in, in Western democracies at the moment, Christian faith has now got around, depending on how you do the numbers, about 2.1 billion adherents across the world. Rodney Stark, who you saw on the trailer, has released a book last year called The Triumph of Faith and said the world has never been more religious than it is right now. Right now, never been more religious. One in four people around the world uh, are actually people of religious faith and Christian faith is growing enormously in most countries of the world. Maybe not Australia and some of the Western democracies, but China, uh, South America, Africa. In fact, depending on, again, on how you do the numbers, because they're very hard to kind of calculate, in the very near future, Chinese, as a group of people in China, will be the greatest number of Christians anywhere in the world. Now, this is enormous influence. And it's not just influence of numbers, it's influence on people's lives. Now, Jesus changed the way we saw individuals. Jesus changed the way we see people. Jesus changed the way we treat every individual within the world. Let me, I want to read a passage. I'm, I want to read a passage from the Bible, mainly because as we're leaving the house this morning, Jane said to me, I better get my Bible. And then she stopped and looked at me and said, oh, you're preaching, I won't need it. Mainly because she knew I was doing all of this material. She loves Mark's preaching, which I, I'm dealing with. It's okay. Here's the deal. Mark chapter 25. Do you remember this passage in Mark chapter 25, sheep and the goats? So Jesus separates the goats on one side, the sheep on the other side. Says to the goats, you know, the goats were the not so good people, the sheep were the better people. And then he's, then he's kind of, and this is a parable that Jesus tells about the king who's at a point of judgment. And then, and you know this passage well, he, he, then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, those that have done well. He says this, come, come, you who are blessed by my father, verse 34, take your inheritance of the kingdom prepared for you since the, king, the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And a very loose translation of what the people who were the sheep said was, that's great news just before we go into your kingdom, just before we head off, and that's wonderful news, can we ask you one question? When exactly were you hungry uh, and, and in prison and needed clothes and a foreigner? And look, you know, uh, look, we're keen to get to this great place and we're about to go there, but do you reckon you could give us a hint? Because we think we might have noticed it if we'd given you clothes and you were the king and you had nothing. And what is the king say to the sheep. Now, what most of us miss is the significant importance of this statement. Whatever you did, for the least of these my people, you did for me. In other words, every moment you serve someone in desperate need, you serve God. Now, we need to read this passage across other passages because we know we're saved by grace, not by service. But those words were taken on by the early church. And in 165 AD and 251 AD, as just one example, two examples, there were massive plagues across the known world. Those plagues killed between 25 and 30% of everybody in the community. Everybody. And in the towns where the plagues kind of took hold, people ran for the hills. If you had somewhere else to go, you would go. If you were a priest, you went. If you were, like, as in a pagan priest, you ran. All the politicians ran. All the leaders ran. Guess who stayed? What history tells us? Christians stayed. 
and they cared for people. If you were in a household and somebody got sick and you were afraid for your life, you rolled them out the door on the street and waited for someone to collect them. Christians fed people. They gave people sustenance. They, and when you feed people, they get better. But here's the deal. Right from the very beginning, Christians remember, whatever you did for the least of these, my brethren, you did for me. Why? Because everybody matters. Jesus existed in a world where everybody didn't matter. Only men who were educated and had wealth mattered. Children didn't really matter. It wasn't, wasn't that they weren't loved. But if you had a girl who was born in your family, you had several children, and you had a girl, and you wanted a boy, you know what was normal practice? Normal practice? You left the baby outside and exposed them. That was normal practice. There's a letter from, from antiquity where a, a guy is away from his wife. He's just a normal loving husband. He writes to his wife, I'm sorry I'm not going to be away. I hope the birth goes well. If it's a girl, keep it. If it's, sorry, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, discard. When Jesus takes a child and puts it in the middle of his, of, of his disciples and said, this is, this is what the kingdom looks like, that was a radical thought. Girls were often married by the time they were mid-teens, 13 and 14. They had no rights, no say in who they married, and no rights within the family. When Jesus said, treat your wife as if she is your own person, as if she's equal with you, that was a radical statement. Most of the things that we see in our community right now as normal and usual behavior, Jesus taught them, and they were radical ideas that changed the world. Jesus was a game changer in all sorts of ways. And you've got to read, get the whole series. I've left lots of space for you to learn about the series. But here's the one place Jesus changed people's lives. One of the stories we tell, we tell Bonhoeffer's story. We tell a modern story like Christine Kane. And we tell, we'd also tell the story of William Wilberforce. You know that William Wilberforce abolished slavery. I want to wrap this up by telling a piece of his story really quickly. Uh, you know that William Wilberforce abolished slavery. He was in Parliament in, in, in London. Uh, he, he came from a family that was from Hull. He, he got into Parliament at 21. He went to Cambridge University before that and basically partied his way through Cambridge University. He was incredibly well-known and very popular in London. And he was, a, he was basically a party boy. And he just had, he just had a great time. He had a little touch of faith when he was about nine, but nothing else at all. He then went on a tour of, of, of Europe with a friend of his. His name was Isaac Milner. The tour, now you can imagine, if you're doing a tour of France in the 18th century, how do you tour? Yep, you're sitting in the back of something dragged around by a horse. You've got a lot of time to talk and you can't even Facebook while you're doing it. So Wilberforce and Milner basically spoke for several weeks. Milner was a brilliant, talked about as a brilliant person in Cambridge. And in that conversation, Wilberforce comes to faith. And he comes home to England, he's in Parliament, he's still in his um, uh, later 20s, and here he is, he's become a Christian, he's walked back to, to, to London, you think, well, he's excited, he's, he's found Jesus, he's wonderful. No, no, he was depressed, he was totally depressed. Why was he depressed? Because he thought he'd wasted his life. He thought he just wasted his life, wasted his time at Cambridge, wasted his time, what am I doing? Totally depressed. And, and he wondered what he should do. Should he, should he stop being a parliament, parliamentarian and join, you know, join the clergy, become a minister, become a priest in the Anglican church? So he went off to see somebody who he thought might be able to help, and the guy's name was John Newton. 
John Newton wrote the, the, the hymn, Amazing Grace. John Newton used to be a slave trader, like a captain on a slave ship. He goes to see John Newton and he basically says to him, what do you think I should do? And John Newton says, I think God has got you here in this place for such a time as this, for that kind of Esther moment. And he walked away and he said, you know what? I feel like God's given me a second chance at life. Isn't that interesting? The second chance at life was not just finding the truth of Jesus or even ex- ex- uh, taking a step to follow Jesus. The second chance of life was to know him what he was called to. And he was called to two things, not one. He was called to the abolition of slavery and he was called to the reformation of manners. And the reformation of manners was not how to use your cutlery at a table. The reformation of manners was a reformation of morals within England. What he was seeking to do was to bring, make goodness fashionable. William Wilberforce and the Clapham sect didn't just change, didn't just bring the abolition of slavery. They changed England. They changed the world. And it was because Jesus changed him. And the, the, the wonderful news is that the change that Wilberforce experienced in the person of Jesus is exactly the same change that comes to you and I. It's not different. It may not be written up in the annals of history and it may not be remembered in 200 years' time, but it is no difference. So Jesus is the game changer of human history, which is what our series is about. But you know why Jesus is the game changer of human history? Because he changes people's lives. He takes us from darkness to light. He takes us from no direction and meaning to hope and meaning. He takes us from a kind of black future to one that's held in the name of Jesus. Jesus fills our lives and changes who we are. We may not become famous and it doesn't matter if we don't, but I tell you what, what matters is that life has some sense of purpose and meaning and structure and direction, a purpose for existing. Life is not just about dragging yourself through one day after another. Life is about finding who Jesus called you to be. And what I would want you to discover is not a historical lesson that said Jesus is the game changer of of human history. Isn't that a great history lesson? No, Jesus changes you and me. And we are different because we make that choice. Let me take a moment to lead you in prayer. A well-oiled machine will meet by the time you open your eyes. The band will be here and will lead us in worship. But let's take a moment to pray. Lord, we, we want to come to you this morning and thank you that you're not just a game changer of human history and there's so many levels to that but you change our lives you speak into our lives and who we are you come in and make us different people and i want to pray for those people here this morning who are struggling with that very question of how jesus can change their life lord i pray beyond history in a personal experience without experience the change that your spirit brings into their lives. I pray for each of us a real sense that you are with us, that every day we experience your grace, every moment we walk with you. And that I pray today that we'd be changed people and we'd be changing our world because of the difference that Jesus is making in every one of us. Amen.